Hebrews chapter 4, and we're going to read a few verses at the end of the chapter uh, together, commencing to read, please, at verse 12. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. Sometimes we can forget about these epistles in the New Testament, but we're coming here this morning and trust that the Lord will have something to say uh, to our souls uh, together. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, and let us read together. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and the marrows, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Seeing then, seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted or tested or tried like as we are, yet without sin. That's the difference in the Lord. He went through the testings and the trials without sin. Let us therefore come boldly onto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. And we know the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his word. It was A.W. Pink, that great expositor of a bygone day, said that the last few verses of this fourth chapter of the book of Hebrews was not only one of the most encouraging passages in the whole of the epistle, but most probably one of the most encouraging passages in the whole of the New Testament. The reason why that is so, because it's about a man, the greatest man that ever lived. We have been singing together this morning about the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to draw your attention to him for a moment this morning. I want to show you him in all of his beauty, in all of his majesty, and all of his power. This letter to the Hebrews was penned for two reasons. It was penned to Jews or Hebrews who were not yet saved. They were still in formality. They were still in religion. They had all of the rituals. They had the outward ceremonies, but they knew nothing of God's salvation in the person of the Lord Jesus. They had all of the works. They had all of the outward facade, but yet they were not saved. Maybe I could say a little word this morning as we go on together. Maybe there's such an individual like that here today. And you have come to church another Sunday morning and we're glad to see you. And you know the formality of the meetings and you read your Bible. You've maybe been baptized. You maybe go to the prayer meeting. But as yet you haven't entered into God's salvation. That moment of turning from your sin and putting your Lord Jesus Christ. You see, these men and women who were Jews, they emphasized all the time on the outward. And my dear friends, you know, we can fall into that trap 
time and time again. And so the writer to the Hebrews takes his pen and he sets the Lord Jesus on a pinnacle. And he sets him above Moses and above Aaron. He sets him on a pinnacle even above the angels, above Joshua, above Jonah, above Solomon. He sets him above all the Old Testament sacrifices and types and shadows where they brought the bulls and the goats to the altar. He set the Lord Jesus higher than all of the types in the tabernacle. And he elevates the Son of God that men and women would see him. And my dear friends, this morning our meeting will be in vain. If we come and sing and listen to the word and we don't see him. Oh, that we might see him. It says in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 12, But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty of heaven. Hebrews 1 and 3 says, When he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down. And I want you to see the Lord Jesus this morning, those of us that are saved. Because we're in him, we have a better hope. Because we're in him, we're going to a better country. Because that moment we repented of our sin and put our trust in him, we're going to have a better resurrection. Everything that the child of God has got this morning is better than what the world has. The Lord Jesus always gives better. And the blessings of God are pressed down Shaken together and they're running over and you're not saved this morning. And you're still in your sin and you're still bound by your sin. Oh, come with us into the blessing of salvation. And even on the very seat this morning, say, Lord, that's me. Will you save me? And in a moment of time, the God of salvation will come and he'll lift the burden and he'll cleanse your soul and he'll set you free and you will never be the same again. Hallelujah. But the letter to the Hebrews was not only penned for Jews that were not saved. It was also penned for Jews that had got saved, but were ready to give up. They were ready to give in. Because of the difficulties, because of the persecution, because of the trials, because of the storms, because of the afflictions associated with being a child of God, they had come to the place in their existence where they thought it would be better and easier just to turn back into the things of the world. In Hebrews chapter 10, twice the writer, and most probably it was Paul, he talks about those that are ready to draw back, ready to pull back. And that may be some individual here this morning, and even in the prayer meetings, you're ready to draw back. Maybe even in your own devotion, maybe even in your assembly witness, you're ready to draw back, ready to give in. History's full of men and women that started well, and it's full of men and women that ended badly. The church is full of men and women this morning who started well but could end badly, as we heard last Sunday morning. The Bible's full of men and women that started well but ended badly. You remember Demas? My, he was with Paul. He was a missionary with Paul. And Paul had to write, he says, Demas has forsaken me. He turned back. Turned back. Then, of course, you'll remember Peter. 
That man that walked with the Lord for three and a half years saw the dead raised, saw the multitudes fed, saw the blessed on the cross from a distance. And in John 21, he went back to the boat. He drew back. And my dear friend, this morning, there's an individual in this meeting, and I would say there's quite a few individuals. And that has maybe been the language of your own heart in the week that's gone by. Lord, it would be so much easier if I was just to be a nominal Christian. Lord, it would be so much easier if I was just to sink back into the old ritual and formality of life. It seems to be ever since I wanted to go on. It seems to be ever since I've got into the prayer meetings. It seems to be ever since I've read the word and began to obey that the devil has come again and again and again. And you this morning could be sitting in this very pew And behind the facade and behind everything else, down in your heart, you could say, Stephen, that is the language of my soul. I feel like drawing back, giving up and going back to where I once was. You know, there was a man that used that very same terminology. And he was a mighty man. He ran a hundred miles out into the wilderness of Beersheba. He sat down under a tree and that mighty man of God He said, Lord, it is enough. And the real rendering of Hebrew is, Lord, I've had enough. Is that what you've said during the week? Is that the vocabulary of your heart this morning? Lord, with the whole family situation, with the whole health situation, with all of the barriers and all of the battles and all of the burdens, Lord, it's enough. I can go no more. Maybe your family knows nothing about it. Maybe your children know nothing about it. And yet this morning you're ready to give in, give up and go back. It's to that very person that God wants to speak to today. And I'm glad that the Lord Jesus is the one that has the tongue of the learned. And thank God he knows how to speak a word in season to the weary. And I want to bring you, and I want you to cast you out of verse 14 this morning as we go through these few verses together. In verse 14 it says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us, that's you and me, let us hold fast our profession. Thirteen times in this letter you get that we free is let us, you study it yourself. God's interested in us this morning. And here he says, let us hold fast. That word is the word to have a grip on a rope. That word is the word to hold on. Let slack, not to let slip, but to hold on. Don't let go, my dear believer, this morning. Don't let go. Don't give in. Don't let the devil this morning make you draw back. Hold tight. Hold tight. Hold tight for your children. Hold tight for revival. Hold tight for your family. Hold tight for your friends. Do not draw back. You see, that's exactly what the devil wants you and I to do. The real literal rendering of that phrase is the word to let us hold on. And you know, dear men and women, there's times as believers where that's all we can do. Just hold on. There's times in our lives whenever we run, 
There's times in the Scriptures when we're told to walk. But there's times when we just hold, hold the rope, hold on. And my dear friends, this morning I want to tell you that's exactly what the Lord did. He held on. You remember in that same word is mentioned in Matthew chapter 9. Whenever Jairus' daughter was lying, dying, and she had died, and the Lord Jesus came into the house and he put all the mockers out and all the scoffers out, and he told the little child, Talitha, arise, and you know what it says? He took her by the hand, and it's the word here, to hold on. He held on. I would love to have seen that. And there that little child got out of her bed and as she opened her eyes, there was one that was holy. And thank God there's times whenever we find it hard to hold. I'm glad that he still holds on to Behold. You remember again in Mark chapter 1 when Peter's mother was lying, she was dying of a fever. And the blessed Son of God came and it, it says that he took her by the hand She was so weak that she couldn't move. And you know it says that he took her by the hand. And the same word is here. Hold on. He held on. And my dear friend, this morning there's times whenever we need to hold on. There's times in our own Christian experience, past all of the excitement, past all of the outward vigor and all of the outward going on with God, and you've heard it week after week here, and bless your soul, you've been so patient with us, you've heard us speaking about the filling of the Holy Ghost, and speaking about victory, and going through with God, but my dear men and women, always remember this, you hold on to God, hold on, don't give in, in Hebrews chapter 6, the writer not only tells us to hold on, he tells us to let us go on, hold on and go on, And my dear friend, I want to give you two reasons, just two this morning, why you should hold on and why you should go on. The first reason I want to give you is because what you and I as believers have. You go through the scriptures sometime during the week and discover what you and I as the people of God have in the Lord Jesus Christ. You cast your eye to verse 14. It says, seeing then that we have, what do I have? Well, in Hebrews chapter 6, it tells us that we have an anchor for the soul. And I can tell you, dear men, that day in my life, whenever I turn to the Lord Jesus, oh, on my way to hell, and the Lord Jesus since that day has become an anchor to my soul, steadfast and sure while the billows roll, fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep, in the Savior's will. And while the gales come and the winds blow, my dear men and women, an anchor that was laid on the 22nd of February 2010 is still fastened to the rock. Praise God. And you go back to that moment in your life when you dropped the anchor. And that's exactly what we have. We have an anchor for the soul. John said in his epistle in 1 John chapter 2, we have, listen to this, an advocate for our sins. Do you know what it is to let the Lord down? you know what it is maybe to think a wrong thought or to do a wrong deed or to say a wrong word and you know in your own, own heart that you've grieved the Lord? You know in your own soul that you've quenched the Spirit of God 
Dear friend, I'm glad there's one in the heavens who represents us and he is the advocate for our sins. We not only have an anchor for our souls, we not only have an, an advocate for our sins, but this is what I'm after this morning. We've got a great high priest for our needs. What do you need today? What's the greatest need in your life this morning? What would the very need be here today that would burden down in your very soul? It may be the very first thing you think of in the morning. It may be the very last thing that you think of before you go to sleep at night. It may be your thoughts during the day. You dear women, wash your dishes, or you dear men, drive the lorry or work on the farm. And that need comes again and again into your heart. Listen to it. We have an anchor for our souls. We have an advocate for our sins. But oh, we've got a great high priest for our needs. Cast your eye to verse 14. See then that we have a great high priest. I want to tell you, dear men and women, there is an exalted, ascended, glorified Christ, the one who sits at the Father's right hand. My dear men and women, Whatever the need may be, he's able to meet that need. He's the one that is able to represent us. I read it during the week, and this is lovely. He appeared the first time as the prophet. He will come another time as the king. But at this very moment, there's a man in the glory on the throne, and he's there as the great high priest. I tell you, dear men and women, and I want you to see who he is. Cast your eye to verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, hallelujah, Jesus, the Son of God, the one who was sent and left the splendors of heaven, came down into the matrix of a virgin's womb, the one who suffered like no other man who suffered. Peter could say he suffered, the just for the unjust, the one who was sent and the one who suffered, Thank God is the one who's sufficient. And there on the very throne this morning while we're in this lovely hall, there's a man in the glory and he's seated on the throne. God is still on the throne and he will remember his own though trials may press us and burdens distress us. He never will leave us alone. Hallelujah. And I'm glad there's a man in the heavens not only representing me and our dear brother Bertie, but every single born-again believer in this hall this morning, this is what you have. You might have a nice car. You might have a good house. What we have, you have a great high priest. Who is he? He's Jesus, the Deliverer, the Savior, the Redeemer, the one who conquered death and hell and sin in the grave and rose again, a living Savior. That's who he is. But you know, we would need to see this morning what he is. He's a great high priest. Everything about him is great. We call him the great shepherd. We at times refer to him as the great physician. He's a great savior. But this morning he sits in the heavenlies on the throne and he there occupies that position as the great high priest. My dear men and women, to have one this morning who pleads our cause. There's one who while at times we find it hard to hold on to him, Thank God he has a good grip of us. He not only hears us, and he not only helps us, bless his name he holds us. 
We sang it this morning. From sinking sand, he lifted me. Oh, with what a tender hand, he lifted me. From shades of night to the plains of light. Oh, I can't say it enough this morning. Bless his name. He lifted me. He's the great high priest. That word great there is the word mighty. It actually means to be exceptional. It means that the Lord Jesus this morning is a great high priest, unlike any other high priest. He's the exceptional high priest. Now, I want you to hold that thought in your mind this morning. And I don't want you to turn to these verses. You can listen to it or turn them up later on yourself. But he's not only an exceptional high priest. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 7, it says that he's a merciful high priest. Now, let me tell you, dear friends, this morning, no, long, no matter how long you be on the road as a child of God, always remember this, you need mercy. You'll need mercy. And the Lord Jesus, the one who has defeated death and hell and the grave, and who ascended to the right hand, and he sits this morning as our great high priest, he's exceptional, he's unlike any other. But he's not only exceptional, he's merciful. And in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 7, the writer goes on again and he says he's not only merciful, but thank God he's faithful. Faithful. My dear men and women, we're not too faithful at times. And I look into my own heart and I examine my own Christian walk and there's times when I can be up and down and there's times whenever I can have an unsteady step. But I'm glad there's one who represents me in the heavenlies and he's consistent in and of himself. He's merciful and he's exceptional and he's faithful. What a seer. What a blessed man. Hebrews chapter 7 and 24 says, But this man, because he continueth ever, has an unchangeable high priest. He's not only exceptional. He's not only merciful. He's not only faithful. Listen to this. He's eternal. Oh, my dear friends, you know what that means? No matter what the storm may be, no matter how dark the night may get, no matter how heavy the burdens may feel, oh, there's a man in the glory and he's eternal. What a man. I could go on this morning, but he's described as the high priest who is holy, harmless, undefiled. You know what that is? He's wonderful. What a wonderful Savior is Jesus, my Lord. A wonderful Savior to me. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock where rivers of mercy I see. You getting the picture of him this morning? Are you starting to see in your mind's eye this blessed man, the man that walked the dusty streets of Nazareth, the man that was pierced by his hands and by his blessed feet? He's exceptional. He's merciful. He's wonderful. He's eternal. Oh, but this is it this morning. Hebrews 4 and 14, it says that we have a great high priest. You know what that is? He's personal. You know what that means? Whenever you're alone, he's still there. My, whenever you're in the gale and whenever you're there and you're isolated and you're vulnerable to the roaring of the lion and you can hear the footsteps of the devil on your very heels, thank God there's an exceptional and a merciful and eternal. Thank God there's a personal great high priest. 
Oh, I praise him this morning. What a savior. You know, we were down, down in Baden there for a few days with a few dear Roman Catholics that have been saved over the years. And one of the things that struck me about their prayers more than anything else was they used to just sit and say, oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. I wonder when was the last time you and I did that. Just to worship him. Just to see him. To see him as our great high priest. That's who he is. That's what he is. But I'll tell you there's more than that. There's where he is. If you cast your eye to verse 14, it says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, passed right through into the very heavenlies this morning, he has entered into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. The thought came to me the other morning. We can look back and we can see him on the cross. What a sight. What a sight. See him there with his visage so more marred more than any man. See him there with his hands that have been pierced. See him there with the crown of thorns on his head. We can look back this morning and we can see him on the cross. We can look forward to a coming moment and we'll see him in the cloud. But if we were to look up this morning, we would see him on the throne. The throne. And there's a throne that is occupied. Oh, thank God it's not Boris Johnson on the throne. Thank God it's not any of the politicians from Northern Ireland on the throne. Politician after politician had to have a vote of no confidence against us. I tell you, there's not a believer here this morning could put a vote of, of no confidence against this man. There's not one of them. Every time we have needed him, he's been there. Every time we've needed a tender touch, he's been there. Every time we needed someone to come along and encourage us and strengthen us, he's been there, the one who held the tools, the one who walked the town, the one who hung in the tree, the one who lay in the tomb. He occupies the throne. Hallelujah. My dear friends, this morning, that's why I'm glad that I'm saved. That's why I'm glad that there's one that represents me. Time is beating me this morning. I'm only going to do one thing. But there's not only who he is, and there's not only what he is, he's a great high priest. And there's not only where he is, he's in the heavenlies. I want you to see, and I'll cut it short this morning. I want you to see what he's like. That's the thought I want to leave with you today. What is he like? What is this man on the throne? What is he like? What's the throbbing of his heart? What's his feeling toward you and me? Well, I'll tell you what he's like. And if you cast your eye on down for a moment and we'll read it together, verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast the profession of our faith, for we have not. An high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. You know what the Greek writers used to do at times? They used to use a double negative to expose a double positive. And the real reading of the verse, we could read it together like this. For we have a great high priest who is touched with all of the feelings of our infirmities. 
You see that word touch there? It's the Greek word for sympathio. It's where we get our English word sympathy from. That's what he's like. He's a sympathetic high priest. You take the two, two words of that one word. The word is some. That word means with. The word pathio is the word to suffer. You know what you get when you put the two of them together? He's the one that suffers with us. Hallelujah. Now that maybe doesn't mean much to you this morning, but it'll mean something to some of you here this morning whenever you know what it is to suffer. Because I can tell you there's one that can not only know our needs and not only meet our needs, but there's one who sympathizes with our needs. Francis Ridley Havigil was a mighty woman of God. Get some of her hymns or some of them in the hymn book. One of the most frustrating things in the life of Francis Ridley Havigil was this. She said, with all of the pain and all of the burdens, the one thing that frustrated her more than anything else was when she told others about them. And they would tell her, Francie, we know how you feel. And she says, they don't. They don't. Now, there's some of you here this morning and you're maybe going into the valley of depression. No one else knows what that's like. I don't know what that's like. I can't sympathize with you. I would love to be able to. But there's one this morning in the very heavenlies who's passed through it all. And he's a sympathizing great high priest. And Francis Ridley Havigil said this, whenever she came back from the doctors and whenever she came back from her friends, she got down on her knees and she used to say, Lord, they don't understand, but I'm so glad that you do. You've been there, Lord. You've been there. He's a sympathetic, sympathetic great high priest. He's touched with all of the feelings of our infirmities. And that's why Paul, when he was going down the Damascus Road, breathing out threatenings and slaughter, and whenever he had imprisoned the believers and beat them and even killed them, there was a voice from heaven. And the Lord Jesus said this, Why persecutest thou me? You know why that was? Because every lash that Paul gave, the Lord felt it. He could sympathize. Every time that he imprisoned believers, every time he hurt them, and every time he bound them, there was one who felt their pain. And that's why in Zechariah chapter 2 it says, They that touch the Lord's people, they touch the apple of his eye. They touch the apple of his eye. And my dear friend, this morning always remember this, he's the one that knows. He knows what it feels like more than what you do. Did he does. He knows what it's like to be rejected. He knows what it was to come unto his own and his own received him not. He knows what it's like to work with men and for them to forsake him and deny him and spit on him. He knows. He knows all about rejection and he knows all about the ridicule. Did anybody ever ridicule you? Maybe someone has said something about you and you've heard it through another person and it's hurt you. I can tell you, dear men and women, the Lord Jesus can sympathize because there is no one ever hurt like him. My, he could say, he that ate of my bread has lifted up his heel against me. 
We were friends and companions and we walked to the house of God together. And then Judas went out and betrayed him. Is that where you are today? I tell you, he knows. He knows all about being misunderstood. I can tell you, dear men and women, if you're going to preach the word of God the way that you have to, and the way our brother Bertie and others preach it, do you know what will happen? You'll be misunderstood. And people will say, oh, they're hard and they're critical. And oh, they're preaching and they're laying a heavy burden upon us. And you know, dear people, there's people criticize us. But there's one thing that Bertie and myself and other preachers can do. We can go home and get down on our knees and you can say, Lord, you know. Hallelujah, Lord. You know what it is to be misunderstood, Lord. You know what it is to be mocked. My, they mocked him and said, are you not born of fornication? You're, you're an illegitimate child. Who are you? You're the lowly Nazarene. You're the carpenter's son. How are you the son of God? And my, they mocked him and they reviled him and yet he opened not his mouth. What a man. What a man. He knew what it was to weep. There's some of you here and you know what it's like to weep. Well, I can tell you there was many a night when the Lord lay out and the hair was wet with the dew of the night. And the blessed tears come out of his eyes and he says, Father, they don't understand. They hate me without a cause. And as he stood at the side of Lazarus' tomb, he wept. And as he looked out over Jerusalem, he wept. And as he lay in the garden, my, he wept. And dear mother, you'll go home from the meeting maybe this morning and you'll weep again. Always remember where the others don't understand. There's one who's been there before and he's shed more tears than you. He know what, knows what it is to be weary. I tell you, there's times whenever we're tired. Tired fighting. Tired praying. Tired pushing. Tired of all of the effort and all of the strain and all of the burden. And there was a day when the blessed Son of God was weary and he leant on the well. He was tired. There was a day whenever he slept on the boat. I tell you, dear believer, this morning you're maybe weary. There's one who's went before. He knows all about pain. I tell you what a pain he went through. He took my sins and my sorrows. He made them his very own. He bore the burden to carry. He knows all about poverty. The one who cast the stars into their socket. The one who made every grain of sand and gold and silver and every alloy that men are murdering over this morning. He made it all with a word. And ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet, yet for your sake he became poor. He could say the foxes have their holes and the birds of the air have their nests, but the Son of Man is nowhere to lay his head. Did you have a pillow last night? Did you have a bed? I can tell you, well, there was many a night that he didn't. There was many a night when he lay in the dusty hills of Judea. He knows all about sorrow because he's a man of sorrow. He knows all about suffering. He knows all about being hated and being hurt. 
He knows all about being forsaken and being forgotten. He was tempted in all points. And that word is the word every point. As we are yet without sin. Never a trial that he does, he is not there. Never a burden that he does not bear. Never a sorrow that he does not share moment by moment. I'm under his care. Never a heartache and never a groan. Never a teardrop and never even a moan. Never a danger but there on the throne. Moment by moment, he prays for his own. He's a sympathizing high priest. I tell you, dear men and women, he's a sinless high priest. He was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. And he's a supplicating high priest. And as you and I are in this hall this morning, there's one who is on the throne. And he has mentioned your name today already. And on down during the week he'll be there representing you and I in the Father's presence. Interceding and supplicating our cause. We have a great high priest. And you know dear men and women that's why you and I can come to the throne of grace boldly. We'll maybe preach on it some other time. Listen to this and I'll close. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. He addeth, he addeth affliction, he addeth his mercy to multiplied trials, he multiplies peace. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength feels ere the day is half done, when we've reached the end, is that you? When we've reached the end of our hoarded resources, oh, our Father's full giving is only begun. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known to man. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth. And he giveth. And he giveth again. What a man. What a man on the throne. My dear men and women this morning, wherever you are and whoever you are, and whatever the trial and whatever the storm and whatever the feelings of affirmity and weakness and tiredness and pain, there's one who can identify. He's a great high priest. I'll keep the rest of this message for some other day. I wonder, has God spoken to your soul today? You get down on your knees whenever you go home and you do what we Eunice said away down in the bottom of Cork. Jesus. Oh, Jesus.